This is Talking With, Brian Lamb's conversation with historian Douglas Brinkley. Episode 6 starts after this. Talk about before Rice, <clears throat> you were married once, divorced, and now married to Anne for how many years? Yep. Um, 19. How did you meet her? Well, we met when I wrote a book on Rosa Parks, and her family, the Goldmans of New Orleans, um, had a daughter, Leah Goldman, who was a really a brilliant I never got to meet her but a brilliant uh, woman north northwestern and um, doing her doctorate in Indiana University of Indiana and she got killed in a uh, fluke auto accident in New Orleans when the whole city blacked out the lights went all went off and somebody ran into her and killed her and so my Leah Goldman the her parents created a memorial lecture for her at a private school there, uh, Country Day in Metairie, Louisiana. And what they do is get guest speakers, I think two a year they pay for. And I just did my Rosa Parks biography, so they had me come give a lecture on Rosa Parks. And Anne um, was my uh, chaperone, took me around the school, introduced me to students. You know, They had a dinner in my honor, because they do for the speaker and all that. And we started dating, and um, she was a graduate of Tulane, and I was uh, just getting ready to start teaching at Tulane, moving from Eisenhower Center to Tulane. And um, we bought, ended up living together right on Jefferson Avenue across from the Newman School, um, where people like, um, I think, Michael Lewis and Walter Isaacson and, and a lot of people, uh, Nick Lehman, well, Nick went to... Nicholas Lemon went to um, Country Day. But at any rate, we were living there, and I can walk to my office at Tulane. Right at all, I'd run in Audubon Park around the zoo, the streetcar coming down there. And we were very happy there. We are going to stay there. And then when Katrina hit, and um, I wrote about it, but um, I just decided I was ready for a new adventure. And my wife was born and raised in New Orleans, and she was ready for a new adventure. And we went, after Katrina, we went and spent a half a year out at Simi Valley, California, to, um, um, ha- I-, I edited Reagan's diaries, and they wouldn't let, you know, I had to work at the library, I couldn't Xerox them, or, um, you know, it was a stipulation. So w- one of our three children was born out there um, at um, in Thousand Oaks, California, right next to Simi Valley, and we had a blast out there. It was so nice working at the Reagan Library. I was in Simi Valley, the weather. And we just decided, you know, let's make life an adventure. We don't need to stay in New Orleans. We've each invested a lot of our life there. What did Anne do in New Orleans? She worked for a company called McDermott for a while, and a long while. Um, and then she, um, and she was in charge of um, booking trips and things and then she was um had her own clothing store a women's clothing store called spring on magazine so when i met her she was uh, a small business owner of a very popular uh, women's store in uh, not too far from tulane you have three children their names uh, our oldest is benton grace sprinkley named after uh, the painter thomas hart benton of Missouri, 
uh, who I just ha- adore. Um, he was from a, a Midwest kind of populist um, painter, but did these incredible portraits of the United States that I loved as a kid. And I still enjoy in any museum going to look for the Bentons. My most expensive thing I've ever bought in my life is an old man painted by Thomas Hart Benton, which I keep, and I'm going to give as an heirloom to my daughter Benton. How did he relate to the Senator Benton? They were um, distantly related, but many generations apart. But he was very proud of, um, he was a very proud Missourian, uh, the painter, uh, and he had lineage. Um, uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote a book about the original Thomas Hart Benton. It's not one of TR's better books, but nevertheless, for Theodore Roosevelt to want to write a biography, so uh, a, a very interesting figure, and Ted or uh, John F. Kennedy was very interested in Thomas that Thomas Hart Benton, but mine was the painter who painted um, Midwest um, landscapes, but also was the teacher of Jackson Pollock and other modern modernist painters. How old is Benton, and what is she doing? Benton is um, seventeen. And is um, about her. I, I'm proud that I did all the driving training with her and just got her a car. Uh, she's got a little Subaru. And she is a junior in high school and she's right now looking for colleges. And that's been interesting for me being a parent instead of the professor. Her interests are? Um, she's very drawn to childhood psychology and education. Um, she's deep, very good with young people, and so she wants to somehow work with uh, um, a big heart. Second child. Um, the second child is Johnny Cleland Brinkley, and Johnny's uh, godfather is Max Cleland, uh, and they stay in touch a lot of times. So How I, did that happen? Um, he, John Kerry was running for president, and I got to know Max, and Max, due to the Vietnam War, lost both legs and an arm, and he just wouldn't get an automatic wheelchair. He would just crank the one, and I'd watch him go over curbs. I watched him in the snow, the one, and I, I just thought, my God, how did he keep, all of that happened to him, and he keeps on fighting, and uh, I wanted, we were mentioning the military earlier, I wanted Johnny to talk, know a veteran like that. My father was a Korean War veteran and would tell us stories about he was in Alaska as a ski trooper in the Korean War guarding Alaska from Russian intervention. Um, and now my dad is in his 90s and wears his Korean vet's hat, you know, when he goes to the Chick-fil-A out in California and things. <laughs> and and uh, but anyway, Johnny is um, a um, he's now a sophomore in high school. And he is just just straight A's. Never known anything but an A. And his interest now is in sports management. He's six, going to be he's six three, and he's only a junior, and he might end up being six four. He loves basketball. Must um, have taken after his mother. He d- took after my grandfather, and my wife has a tall gene yeah. in her family too. He somehow. Uh, Found that Here, here's, gene. A, here's a trivia question for you. Do you know what famous singer grew up in the same town as Max Cleland? Oh boy, um, famous singer grew up in the same town. I'll make. Uh, <laughs> boy, that's a hard guess. Um, 
<laughs> Little Richard. No. Uh, no. I, I learned it one night because I was at the Birchmere watching Brenda Lee. Oh. And Max Cleland was there at another table, and he yells over. He says, you know that Brenda Lee Boulevard is in the same town with Max Leland Street. Oh, my God. I did not put that together. That's interesting. Well, Max is an expert on bluegrass country music and particularly western movies uh the gene autry tom mix he's encyclopedic i once visited him in los angeles at a meeting i just was curious to see it it's like a cowboy club of all these western uh, zane gray louis lamour it was like a <laughs> western conference and it was fascinating i went just to, i happened to be in la and took the effort to go see him at this and it, it was it was neat um i worry about max a lot you know it's but he ran the battlefield commissions too so he knows about all the battlefields and where american soldiers are buried around the world where's he living now and, uh, he's in an apartment in atlanta, atlanta. and uh, he goes to a diner where they all you know he's like the town crier coming in they all love him there but um my son wants to go into sports management, and he has a business uh, sports, and his dream would be to be a general manager of, like, an NBA team. Um, what about the third child? Third is Cassidy, and Cassidy Ann, and um, her name's spelled like Hopalong Cassidy, who was at Ohio State, a great football player. Um, and I just like the name Cassidy. The Hopalong Cassidy? Mm -hmm. Was it a football player at Ohio State? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and in any rate, she's um, a freshman, and she wants to go to Columbia University. It's just honor. It's her dream. And I keep telling her how tough it is. You're going to get in Columbia. You can't get a B-plus in one class. And so far, she's doing all the work to be able to get into Columbia. Um, and, you know, the thing we learn um, at Rice, but as being in, so long in this world, with the, never let a young person fall in love with one school because they're applying to, you know, you got to apply to a team. Never know. Things are random in life. I mean, we have students get rejected at Rice that had a 4-2 average in high school and aced the scores, and they, their parents come to me and say, my kid was perfect. How can you guys not take them, you know? Are you a tough grader? Um, no. <clears throat> A medium. Uh, I would. I'm. I'm very sympathetic, and uh, I'm probably easier than I should be. Um, sympathetic to excuses for late things. Um, but the problem is, some a student tells you they were sick and didn't get your paper in time. I, it's always weird. They're all sick on the same day, the night before the papers do. But you can't signal. You know, you just have to accept that. You can't start challenging somebody's telling you they you, were feeling well. You used well. to appear on the Don Imus show all the time? I did. And then I think I remember somebody named Wyatt Imus yeah. popping up yeah, in one of your classes. Yeah, he was in my classes. Yeah, Wyatt was, uh, well, Wyatt has an interesting focus. Well, sports management's kind of a hot field, and Rice University's number one in the country in it. And it attracts a lot of, of um, young men and women, but uh, Wyatt wanted to become professionalized in rodeo he does rodeo um and i had to go when he applied there i you know we don't consider it a sport uh rodeo even though we're in texas at rice 
and and I questioned why not rodeo is a sport uh, and I took it up to um, through the channels there and they finally they actually agreed is that he... it should be a sport so they're giving him meaning but why it mattered for him is he goes to rodeo meets and might miss a week of school for the rodeo and the teachers have to make up for that as if you were a football player that had to go to the west coast or something so we have to we treated rodeo as a sport how much uh is Wyatt I <clears throat> excuse me Wyatt I must like his father oh <laughs> very much so in the sense of you know um humor <clears throat> and um you know he's just uh they both are love the um the frontier the west the, you know I've been to their ranch before Don died uh, out in Texas he had lung issues in in New Mexico his breathing was hard for him where he's he was really like below sea level at his ranch there in Brenham Texas and a beautiful blue bonnets and gorgeous horses and he had a nice setup and Wyatt really was winning blue ribbons. Um, I mean, he was a champion. Um, his hero, as he wouldn't mind me saying, I, I don't talk usually about students, but he loves Muhammad Ali. And his Bible was David Remnick's book on Ali, and he really wanted to be like the greatest at rodeo. And whether one ever meets that, it's, it, it attains it, it's the drive to want to be, be that good. And Wyatt has that. Sure, you're telling the next Ken Burns series is on Muhammad Ali. So, is it? I didn't know that. I watched Hemingway with great. I thought it was all of Ken's stuff is good, but I really enjoyed the Hemingway. Uh, it had enough mixture of footage with the writing and uh, the complications, but I was worried it was going to be more of a kind of takedown of Hemingway's machoism or something. But I thought they dealt with him as a person quite well in that. And so um, Muhammad Ali is a gold standard because the footage you have of him, it will be just spectacular. Go back to your children, uh, ages 17, yeah. 15, 13? Y- yes. Okay. <clears throat> what has been your approach? Because I know I've picked up over the years and we've talked in interview situations that um, they've traveled an enormous amount with you. Enormous. How many kind of places have you taken them and why? They've become my magic bus trips. We go everywhere. Uh, I take them to historic sites, and in particular in national parks, uh, and hope it rubs off. They complain about it some, depending on the circumstances. Um, but I found ways to mix it up. One is that we're trying to visit every baseball stadium in America. So if you go to see the Cubs in Chicago. We then also go to the, you know, the Chicago Arts Institute or, or uh, visit Jane Addams' whole house or, and, you, know, uh, you know, we'll do things that are history related to the trip and then the baseball game's sort of a payoff. Um, we all like it, but my wife's become a big baseball f- fanatic. Um, and, but mainly we just go and see places and go things. And I'm excited. This summer I'm taking them. We're, I'm spending the whole um, six weeks. We're going to be in Medora, North Dakota, where they're building a Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library. Um, the Walton Foundation of Walmart's put a lot of the seed money into this. And I wrote the book The Wilderness Warrior about Theodore Roosevelt and conservation. And the museum's going to be... 
uh, based largely a, a good part of it uh, on that, on my book. In that little museum there, it's not, as you know, it's not uh, developed yet, is the shirt he was wearing in Milwaukee with the the bullet hole in it. And, and it, it's interesting because, as you know, Theodore Roosevelt's stuff is everywhere. <clears throat> what is the story behind him getting shot in Milwaukee? Um, he was running third-party bull moose candidate, um, and, you know, he was approaching the stage and a crazy uh, anarchist pulled out a pistol and shot him while he was walking the the grounds to get to the podium um, and is bleeding terribly. I, he looked and saw that the bullet had gone through what you're saying, the his glasses. Um, he was blind in one eye and couldn't see that well out of the other. And he also was a bird watcher, and so these glasses he put on to see things. And he had a thick speech paper, a little thicker than it is today there, too. So the bullet went through those. And it, it may have saved his life because it hit the case, the glasses, you know, and it, it gave, stops a little bit of the velocity of the bullet. Um, but he was bleeding and continued, took to the stage and, you know, said it'll take more than a bullet to kill a bull moose and continue to orate like with bleeding. Now, at that moment, he's either crazy or um, he, but he became a folklore figure. It didn't matter whether he won or lost. The story of TR takes a bullet and keeps speaking. Um, he got then finally brought to Chicago for medical attention, lost weeks on the campaign, uh, which was unfortunate. But I just coincidentally mentioned Jane Addams' whole house. She was an original social worker, uh, won a Nobel Prize for her social work. She came and sat by his bedside and mm -hmm. uh, tried to get him healed. And in the end, he came in second uh, after Woodrow Wilson in 1912 with William Howard Taft, his sudden nemesis coming in third. Um, but after that, he was much weaker, and he probably shouldn't have gone as as now looking what to do, he went to Brazil famously and took the journey down the river of no return and contracted a malarial-like situation. Go back to Medora, North Dakota. Why a museum there and how big a deal is it going to be? When we do my magic bus trips, we'd always stay in Medora. There was a, um, a woman who recently died, Shyla Schaefer, who loved the magic bus, and she would give us free rooms at the Badlands Motel. And we would go to the ranches that TR had and go around the Little Missouri River. Brian, that national park, all of people listening to this should go visit Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Because it's not crowded like the Badlands with, with industrial tourism, you can go up there. Medora's a mom-and-pop town where they don't have franchises except the you know gasoline stations. There's not Subways or McDonald's. It's, you know, mom-and-pop. And they built this beautiful amphitheater outside with the Badlands backdrop where they do musical shows in the summer. And you're bound to see uh, boundless um, buffalo and um, antelope, prairie dog villages. It's really quite a, a beautiful pocket. And the idea is build it and they will come right now. The Walton Foundation built in Arkansas Crystal Bridges, which is an art museum in Bentonville, 
um, um, Arkansas. By the way, Bentonville named after the senator? um, That Bentonville is um, probably named after, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been. um, And that little town there is where Walmart started at Bentonville. That's the headquarters, and they built it in this charming little community. But the museum is really worth seeing there. It's beautifully done and sold out. I mean, people pouring into Bentonville, Arkansas, to see the museum. So I think the thought is to do one for Theodore Roosevelt in North Dakota, because he used to say, I never would have been president without my days there. And they're building it in, in a really environmentally, you know, echo way of the newest ways to build. And uh, they're paying a lot of money for the architect to make the museum blend in with the Badlands scenery. And so, you know, we have a presidential libraries for so many figures. We've never had one for Theodore Roosevelt. And um, now it's happening. The money's there. I mean, in Congress, right when Trump left uh, that December before he left the White House, uh, the Congress appropriated some money to that, too. But the Walton Foundation put an original, like, $150 million to get the thing going. And the governor and the senators are of, of the state are all into it, and so it's happening. When's it going to be finished? Um, I, this year is more of their, it, I think it'll open, my guess is, in 2023. Uh, last uh, question to you about rice. Uh, it's really not about rice, but is rice your last stop in, in uh, education, or do you have another dream to go some one more stop? Rice is such an amazing institution. It is, we are ranked every year in U.S. News and World Report. We're, you know, usually around 14 in the whole United States. We are a top 20 university. I could not tell you, all of my colleagues are my friends, the administrators. I have such a beautiful situation there that anytime I think about ever leaving, it's like, why? Um, with that said, you never know. Uh, you know, we I might want to have a, you know, I often think it'd be fun to be in Washington, D.C. and run, as I'm getting more senior, uh, running one of these college programs. You know, all universities have a program and a building, a lot of them here. It uh, might be fun for me to do the Washington um you know, spend my last years live, dividing my time between Austin and Washington, D.C. Um, but right now I'm staying at Rice. It helped me with, I wrote American Moonshot there because John F. Kennedy gave that great speech on September 12th, 1962. You know, we choose to go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And it was a speech about public um, service, but also about science and discovery. And I think it's Kennedy's primo speech. It's really a remarkably delivered and written speech. Douglas Brinkley is an American historian and author. You can listen to more interviews with him by searching his name in the video library at cspan.org.